Today's podcast is brought to you by Ordinary Vegans Organic CBD Oil Made from Hemp. Ordinary Vegan Community member Jennifer wrote to me and said this, I love your CBD oil capsules. I am more relaxed than ever, and it helps a great deal with the pain in my hands from arthritis. Thank you, Ordinary Vegan. Thank you, Jennifer, for your feedback. You're listening to the Ordinary Vegan Podcast, where we teach you everything you need to know about adopting a plant-based diet full or part-time. Our goal is to empower you to live a long and healthy life. You can find today's show at OrdinaryVegan.net or on iTunes. If you have any questions, please send an email to questions at OrdinaryVegan.net. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ordinary Vegan Podcast number 93, Raising Vegan Children Safely with Pediatrician Dr. Rejma Shah. I am excited about today's podcast because so many of you over the years have asked me questions about raising vegan children. And someone sent me this new book called Nourish, the Definitive Plant-Based Nutrition Guide for Families by Dr. Shaw. And I knew she would be the perfect guest to answer all your questions about the safety of a vegan diet for kids. If we haven't met, my name is Nancy Montori, and I am the founder of Ordinary Vegan, the website and this podcast. I advocate a plant-based diet for health and wellness, the environment, and for animal welfare. In 2011, I discovered my purpose in life was to help people, and that's why I'm here, to serve you and hopefully give you all the tools you need to live a long, happy, healthy life. This is the last podcast for the year 2020. I would like to say thank you to all of you who have listened and supported this podcast since the very beginning. Your emails and comments mean so much to me, and I am very grateful for all of you. Please stay safe and well over the holidays, and please don't be tempted to take any risks. Although I'm feeling down about not being with all my friends and family over Christmas, I remind myself of all the healthcare workers who are risking their lives to protect others, and then I don't feel sorry for myself anymore. Now, let's talk about today's guest. Rejma Shaw, MD, is a board-certified pediatrician and clinical instructor at Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Shah, along with Brenda Davis, just released the book Nourish, the Definitive Plant-Based Nutrition Guide for Families. Their new book is dedicated to providing parents with the tools they need to feed their families a plant-based diet safely. They cover all the nutrition specifics for all the stages of childhood, from pregnancy and breastfeeding all the way through adolescence, among many other things, including some bonus family recipes to help you along the way. So let's get started. Hi, Dr. Shah, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to chat with you. Well, over the years, I have received many questions from parents whose children either have opted on their own to eat plant-based or parents who believe in the connection of meat consumption and chronic disease, and they want to bring up their children in the healthiest way. Your book, Nourish, the Definitive Plant-Based Nutrition Guide for Families, 
covers so much ground, including eating plant-based when pregnant and the effects of eating animal protein on the environment, and you also cover animal welfare. Today, I wanted to focus on all the great information you give about raising plant-based children and ask you the questions that I've been asked over the years. So, my very first question is, is a plant-based diet safe and adequate for children of all ages? So the short answer is absolutely. Um, A slightly longer answer would be that plant-based diets, when they're appropriately planned, and we can talk a little bit more about what that means, are um, not only nutritionally adequate for growing children through all stages of the life cycle, but they actually provide many health advantages. Um, I think the place where a lot of parents and even healthcare providers and, you know, fellow pediatricians get stuck Uh, is on the words appropriately planned. And we know that the uh, position statement that was published, the updated position statement published in 2016 from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics um, clearly states that appropriately planned plant-based diets, including uh, vegan and vegetarian diets, are safe during all stages of life cycle. But it's important to remember that all diets for children, regardless of whether they're plant-based or not, need to be appropriately planned. So I think sometimes people are scared off by the words appropriately planned because they're not sure quite what that means. Um, And that's exactly what we wanted to address in the book. But absolutely, plant-based diets, including vegan diets, can be safe and appropriate for growing children and actually may provide many, many health advantages. We will definitely break down the nutrients in a little bit. So um, why should parents consider feeding their children a plant-based diet besides the environmental uh, benefits in the animal welfare? What are the health benefits for children? So I would say the most significant health advantage for children is actually that from a very early age, you introduce them to a way of eating um, that can promote health and prevent many of the chronic diseases that we see in adulthood. So while many adults may choose to opt up you know, opt for a plant-based diet as they're facing a lot of chronic illnesses. As a pediatrician, I would advocate beginning that way from the beginning. Um, And we know this way of eating, you know, it helps children to establish healthy eating behaviors, but it's also an incredibly abundant and delicious way of eating. So I never like for parents or families to think about this as being restrictive or in any way missing out on delicious foods, because at the end of the day, for kids and for families, if the food isn't delicious, you're not really going to pursue many people. So in addition to all the things that you mentioned in terms of the environment and um, animal cruelty and the health advantages, it's also an incredibly delicious, vibrant, um, and joyful way of eating. Do you think it's more important than ever to raise extremely healthy kids with strong immune systems to protect them against viruses and future health problems? You know, I think it's been important all throughout time, um, but Right now, I think with all the health issues that we're facing, um, and COVID-19 is definitely at the forefront, I think people are becoming increasingly aware of the role that diet can play in our overall health. So I think it's been important all along, but I think there is such a greater awareness um, just because of what's going around in our world today. How do you get parents, how how do parents get their children excited about eating healthy foods? So the simplest way is to be excited themselves. You know, when children are young, they look to parents um, as an example and a role model. So I think the best way 
to get kids excited is to model the behavior yourself. So if you are very reluctantly eating your kale salad and making squishy faces about it, your kids see that. (laughs) So if they see you enjoying it, if you involve them in the process, you know, whether it's going to the farmer's market or helping you cook in the kitchen, uh, the more joy and excitement they see in parents, the more excited they're going to be themselves. Do parents need to buy only organic food for optimal health for their children? You know, I think that this is quite a controversial topic. Um, And what uh, I co-wrote the book Nourish with Brenda Davis. And one of the things that we emphasize is that if you're able to choose organic, you may want to, especially for certain foods, not only for health advantages, but in terms of the environment. But the most important thing is to emphasize the consumption of lots of fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, And if buying organic means that you can't eat as many fruits and vegetables, we would always choose um, the fruits fruits and vegetables you can afford and that are accessible to you. Uh, and if you have the option to purchase, uh, cer- especially certain foods organic, I think it's it's wonderful. But don't let that get in the way of just eating more fruits and vegetables. There are a lot of misconceptions about soy. Is soy safe for children? Absolutely. Um, I think that when you look at the countries that have the highest consumption of soy foods, like many Asian countries, Japan uh, and other countries, you see that their rates of chronic diseases and specific cancers are um, quite a bit lower. I think the reason that people become concerned about soy foods is they are worried about the potential estrogenizing effects uh, of soy products because they contain phytoestrogens. But we know that phytoestrogens and estrogens uh, are not exactly the same thing. And in fact, even in patients who have been known to have breast cancer, um, soy foods have been shown to be safe and perhaps even protective. So I think the key to soy foods for children is to try and provide soy foods um, in in less processed forms. So things like uh, edamame or even soy milk and tofu, things like that are fine. But I think where you could potentially run into problems is when you have foods that have a lot of these isolated soy protein products. There were, There's very few studies that uh, there was one particular study that looked at, you know, um, breast development in men uh, eating soy products. And the it was two case reports. And both of these case reports involved consuming really large quantities of soy foods, I think like 15 to 20 servings a day, uh, and mostly from these isolated soy protein products. So when you're consuming foods like edamame and tofu and soy milk, um, a couple of servings a day is absolutely nothing to worry about. Well, speaking of milk, what are the best plant-based milks for babies and toddlers? So for babies, um, really the only safe uh, thing to provide in terms of um, milk would be breast milk, which is um, obviously preferable. But if breast milk, breastfeeding is not possible, um, the most traditional formula that's often used that's used for infants is a cow's cow's milk-based formula. Um, And that's the sort of traditional thing that many um, non-breastfed infants will get. An alternative to that in infancy would be a soy-based formula. Um, the only, the absolutely only thing that is safe for infants is one of these commercial formulas. So using a homemade formula or giving your um, baby of six months a soy milk or almond milk is definitely not recommended. It's not safe uh, and it could result in some disastrous health outcomes. So for infants under the age of 12 months, it's breast milk, uh, a cow's milk-based formula or soy, uh, a soy-based formula 
for those that want to follow an entirely vegan or plant-based diet. Um, Brenda and I talk about this in great detail, but there are some specific conditions in which a soy-based formula would not be safe for infants. Um, obviously, if there's an allergy and other certain medical conditions, uh, which tend to be pretty rare, but it's important to consult with your healthcare provider um, when you're making those decisions. And then after a year of age, you know, it's perfectly fine for mom to continue breastfeeding if that's what she chooses to do. I think that in the United States, sometimes we uh, tend to wean our infants at an earlier age, but even up to age two or three, uh, as long as it is working for mom and baby, um, breast milk is fine to continue giving your um, older infant and toddler. And then for that one to three year range, if you are choosing not to breastfeed anymore, then we recommend using either a uh, fortified soy milk or a fortified um, pea protein milk. And the reason for that is, is that those two milks will give children, growing children, um, enough calories and enough protein and some of the other nutrients that re that they require. Some of the other plant-based milks like almond milk or um, cashew milk would not be appropriate for kids in that um, early toddler preschool age because it's simply not going to give them enough calorie uh, calories and protein. And it's nice to use a fortified plant-based milk that has added calcium and vitamin D um, and even B12 in some instances because it will sort of ensure that they don't become deficient in some of those key nutrients um, that they need during those growing years. And then as children get older, you know, as their school age and adolescence, I think you can experiment with the plant-based milks because um, you're not as worried about the uh, calorie and protein because they're eating a variety of other foods. Um, so you don't worry about it as much. But if you have athletes um, and they, you know, have increasing protein requirements, soy and pea protein milks are perfectly fine. Um, just find the plant-based milks that your older children enjoy and um, let them let them sort of have some say in which ones they prefer. You also mentioned honey. You said in your book that honey um, shouldn't be consumed by infants and toddlers. Is that correct? So um, honey is, should not be given to um, babies under 12 months of age. And that's for the, because of the uh, risk of potential risk of botulism, um, just related to their gut, you know, the way that their gut is um, in infancy. Um, it's not safe to give infants uh, honey after a year of age. It's perfectly fine if you choose to use um, honey in your diet. What are you, what are your feelings on uh, rice uh, cereals for uh, infants? And toddlers. Yeah. So it used to be, you know, back when I trained, uh, which was quite a while ago, the first foods that we used to recommend for infants was a, um, a, a rice, an infant rice cereal. And the reason for that is, is because these infant cereals are fortified with iron, which is a key nutrient that we have to worry about um, after four to six months of age. The reason that we no longer recommend a rice cereal is because the because of the elevated arsenic content. So we recommend using, uh, a, you know, an other whole grain cereals. And the good news is from now, the difference between now and when I had my children and when I was first training is there are so many different varieties that are available. So I would recommend, it's not that rice can absolutely not be given, but I would not use it as the sole um, cereal that you're giving your infant uh, because of the high arsenic content that's in rice. You say in your book that when feeding children, the topmost priority must always be to optimize their growth, development, and well-being. So can we break it down and talk about each nutrient that is essential to a child's development, uh, beginning with protein? Protein is a key nutrient for growth and development and is essential in every child's diet. So how do we make sure children get enough protein 
in how many portions of plant-based protein per day does a child need to ensure adequate nutrition? Yeah. So I think it's really important. I think sometimes when we talk about protein, I mean, in the book, we give great detail about the different um, requirements through the different life cycles and what foods contain, how much protein. And I think all of that information is given to give parents some reassurance, but we certainly don't have the expectation, nor should parents feel that they need to be measuring the milligrams of protein or grams of protein or other nutrients that their children are getting. But what we recommend is trying to serve um, some protein-containing food during all meals and snacks. And it's very easy with a plant-based diet um, to add sources of protein. So things like uh, legumes are definitely the powerhouse in terms of protein. So adding, um, you know, lentils or uh, tofu or soy milk, things like that can definitely boost the protein content in a food. But a variety of other foods, such as nuts and seeds, and um, even fruits and vegetables contain some amount of protein. Now, not nearly as much as the legumes, but trying to include a source of protein at every meal and snack. And it can be really easy to do. So you could sprinkle on some hemp seeds or pumpkin seeds or add a little nut butter. Um, it's it's really not that complicated to meet the protein requirements. There was a study that was done, uh, I think it was in 2019, um, a German group studied uh, the difference between vegetarian and vegan diets and omnivorous diets in young children. And they found that every category of toddlers, whether they were vegan or vegetarian or omnivorous, Every single category met their protein requirements. And in fact, the children that were eating an omnivorous diet, met, they, were, like, they met their protein requirements by threefold. And the vegan and vegetarian children consumed twice as much protein as they needed. So people are very, very concerned about protein. But of all the nutrients that we're likely to talk about today, it's the one that I worry the least about when it comes to plant-based children. That's great news. Do you recommend protein powders for children? Uh, the short answer is no. I don't think that children require protein powders. And the only exception would be, I think, that if you've got um, uh, elite athletes that really have um, high protein requirements, um, you could consider adding it to the diet. And we have a whole section on uh, or a whole uh, we cover protein powders in the book. And I think it's really important to make sure that you're sourcing those protein powders um, appropriately, because a lot of times they have additives and other ingredients that, uh, you know, that children don't require. So I think the first step would be to just try and add protein in the diet in the ways that we talked about. I think rarely does a child require a protein powder in order to meet their requirements. And again, there are going to be specific situations like uh, children who have certain medical conditions that are failing to thrive or athletes, um, those sorts of extreme situations you might consider a protein powder, but day in and day out, it's, it's certainly not required. Since plant-based eaters are at a greater risk for vitamin B deficiency, and vitamin B is very important for forming red blood cells, which carry the oxygen through your body and turning the food that you eat into energy, is it even more worrisome for children not having enough vitamin B12 in their growing stages? So vitamin B12 is absolutely a nutrient that um, plant-based uh, parents need to be uh, aware of. It's deficiency states in childhood can lead to disastrous outcomes. So when mom is breastfeeding, if she is taking adequate B12, she'll, the baby will get enough. But beyond breastfeeding, when baby is being weaned, you must provide vitamin B12 um, in either through fortified foods or a supplement. I think that for children, the easiest thing is really just to do a supplement because 
you know, for those of you who've had children, you know that they can be quite inconsistent in what they eat from day to day. And so if you're not sure that they're going to get their three servings of, you know, fortified plant-based milk uh, or their intake varies from day to day, the easiest thing to do is to take a supplement. And in the book, we outline the dosing and um, how often you should take it. But B12 is one of those non-negotiables. If you are a vegetarian, um, well, it depends on how, what kinds of animal foods you may be consuming, but certainly if you're vegan, you absolutely must ensure an adequate source of B12 for your child. And what is the recommended daily amount of vitamin B12? Does it vary with age? It Well, it's kind of a complicated question. Uh, and the reason I'll sort of refer you to the book is because it varies not only according to age, but it also varies uh, according to um, the dose that you're taking. So the higher the dose, the less we absorb. So it's kind of like a, a a sort of a complicated conversation. But if you are providing your child with a multivitamin that contains the B12, that's one way to do it. They also have um, B12 sprays. So there are a variety of ways. The good news about B12 is unlike other vitamins and nutrients, uh, minerals, excuse me, it's it's really difficult to overdose on B12. So if you take a little bit more than you need, um, it tends to just get excreted in the urine. So either through fortified foods or a supplement, um, and the dose is going to vary depending on whether you're taking a daily supplement or a biweekly supplement. So um, yeah, you just have to look at the dosing of the specific supplement that you're taking to figure out um, how much you need to take. Well, that brings up another question for me. Do you think that if you are raising uh, plant-based children that you should have blood tests taken to make sure that their um, vitamin B12 and D levels are adequate? So it's um, it depends. I would say that if you are a family that um, is quite anxious or worried that your child may not be meeting their requirements for B12 um, and vitamin D, it's certainly easy enough to get a blood test, but it's not required. If you're regularly supplementing with B12, um, you rarely need to get a test to make sure that your levels are okay. Vitamin D becomes a little trickier because it depends on a lot of things. Um, it's not just related to our intake, but for instance, uh, the most one of the most common ways you can get vitamin D is through sun exposure. But depending on where you live geographically, depending on the pigment of your skin, all these variables can affect uh, and influence how much um, vitamin D you actually get in. So with vitamin D, if you're sort of not exactly sure where your levels are, you can certainly get them checked. And unlike with B12, with vitamin D, um, you don't want to overdo it. Now, the doses that are common in supplements um, are perfectly fine and safe, but the um, higher level dosing of vitamin D, I would not recommend for children um, unless they're under medical supervision and you know where their levels are. Other, other than B12 and vitamin D, we do typically, for all children, regardless of the diet that they follow, we do typically screen for iron deficiency anemia at about a year of age. So that's a blood test that I would just, you know, follow the typical recommendations of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And because we screen for iron deficiency, it's the most common nutrient deficiency worldwide. So that is typically a blood test that's done at about a year of age and sometimes um, during adolescence for females. Calcium is such an important nutrient for growing children, no matter what diet they follow. Can children meet their calcium needs on a vegan diet, especially if they are fussy eaters and they don't like anything green? Yes. So of course, we know that leafy greens are a great source of calcium, but this is one of the reasons that we recommend using a fortified plant-based milk um, because it can be difficult for a one, two, or three-year-old to eat enough leafy greens um, and tahini and other calcium-rich foods. So providing, um, especially finicky eaters and children who are 
younger, so between the ages of one and three, with a fortified plant-based milk is a great way to ensure adequate calcium intake. And it absolutely is something that we want to make sure our children are getting enough of. Yeah, oranges are good too for kids. Yes. And almond butter. Um, how, how many servings of calcium-rich foods a day? And, uh, and should you even worry about calculating the calcium amounts? Yeah, so I think that um, two to th- if you're if you're doing a plant-based milk, offering them about two cups and then relying on foods would would be a good way to do it. Um, it's interesting because one of the things that Brenda taught me for sure is that. Uh, we actually are much better at absorbing our calcium if we sort of spread it throughout the day. So instead of having like, you know, one large serving of calcium at the beginning of the day in whatever fortified plant-based milk, if you can kind of spread it out, you know, two to three times a day, we're much better at absorbing the calcium that we take in. So I would say trying to offer, you know, either a plant-based milk or some food uh, that, that contains calcium is a good idea at most meals and snacks. But again, you don't have to sort of be obsessively concerned um, about calculating out the calcium. But if your child is drinking, you know, a couple cups of fortified plant-based milk, and then you include these calcium-rich foods in the diet on a regular basis, that should have you covered. You have a great calcium content chart in your book, by the way, along with many other charts that look very helpful. Well, let's get back to vitamin D because that's required for the absorption of calcium to maintain strong bones. And um, do you just recommend getting your um, vitamin D from the sun or do you recommend a vitamin D supplement and how does a, a parent decide that? Yeah, so I think um, it's a converse. That's definitely a supplement that I would um, check with your healthcare provider. Now, for infants under, for infants that are being breastfed, um, a vitamin D supplement is absolutely required. So the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends starting a vitamin D supplement within the first couple of weeks of life for all infants that are breastfed. Um, and you know, sun exposure is great, but it's not a reliable way to get our vitamin D. Again, we talked a little bit about it depends on your geography. So um, in you know, we, I live in California, but our, at our latitude, um, it's not sufficient to get enough sun, uh, enough vitamin D through sun exposure. Uh, people with darker pigmented skin, um, a variety of other conditions can also uh, affect and influence how much vitamin D we get from the sun. Most people, um, especially because, you know, we're indoors so much and we use sunscreen, all of these things um, don't make uh, sunlight a reliable source of vitamin D for a lot of people. Now, if you're someone that has regular sun exposure, you've never had problems with vitamin D and you live geographically in an area where you don't have to be worried about that, you may not require a supplement. But I think, um, I would say the majority of people uh, these days require either fortified foods or a supplement in order to maintain their vitamin D status. Okay. Can we go back to iron in a second? Because it's such a key nutrient, especially when uh, in, in a young child. How does a parent make sure their young child is getting enough iron? So it can, you know, young children, when you look at it, um, milligrams per kilogram body weight, their needs for iron are actually quite high um, because they are doing so much growing. So for infants, um, I think one of the reasons we recommend uh, fortified infant cereals uh, as one of the first foods is because it is such a rich source of iron. For So for Infants under the year, year one year of age, um, definitely including iron-fortified cereals um, is an excellent way to introduce iron in the diet. 
In the book, we also have a couple of recipes that feature infant cereal in even toddler recipes or even childhood recipes. So if you have a child who is um, struggling to meet his or her iron needs, if the pediatrician has said that their iron is running sort of on the lower end, you could even add infant cereal to recipes um, like muffins and things like that. Swapping out a little bit of the flour that you might use with an infant cereal um, can be a way to increase the iron. And then, you know, just including a lot of iron-rich foods like legumes and things like that in the diet. Um, when we include these iron rich sources in the diet, plant-based children absolutely can meet their iron requirements. Zinc is an essential mineral and critical during pandemics like COVID-19. How do we make sure our children get enough zinc? And you talk about optimizing zinc. Can you tell us how to optimize zinc when planning meals and snacks? Yeah. So in the book, we offer um, a chart about, you know, foods that are rich in zinc. And again, it's just about sort of becoming familiar with the food, with the types of foods that contain zinc um, and making sure that you include them with some frequency in the diet. I think that, um, with zinc, you know, they, oftentimes they have these like zinc lozenges and supplements and things like that. And I'm a little wary because you can overdo zinc. So I wouldn't recommend using a single nutrient supplement um, for zinc. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's, if it's included in a multivitamin, those levels are typically safe. But I would steer clear of just the single nutrient supplements for zinc. But mostly it's just about including those foods um, that are rich in zinc throughout the diet. And um, I think the key to that is just variety offering a variety of foods um, and making sure that your kids are sort of exposed to these foods so they just kind of become a regular part of the diet. The last nutrient I wanted to mention is omega-3 fatty acids because they're vital for brain development, vision, heart health. What do you recommend to parents to make sure their children are getting enough omega-3 fatty acids? Yeah, and I think that um, unlike B12, which is sort of a clear cut, every, you know, you must absolutely ensure that you're either taking a supplement or fortified foods. I think the research on omega-3 is not quite as clear cut. Um, and the approach that Brenda and I take is we would rather err on the side of being cautious. Um, you can absolutely get omega-3 fatty acids from plant foods such as chia seeds and hemp seeds and walnuts. Um, but converting the ALA to the longer chain omega-3 fatty acids um, is somewhat variable. And so for certain critical stages in the life cycle, as in you know, during pregnancy and lactation and early infancy, um, we don't think it's unreasonable to include an omega-3 um, supplement that comes from algae, um, a, a supplement that contains DHA and EPA. And you know, beyond those critical stages, I think it, can, it just depends on how much um, ALA-rich foods like the walnuts and chia seeds and hemp seeds that we talked about that you include in your diet. I think for a lot of children that may not eat those foods regularly, it's not unreasonable to think about taking um, an algae-based supplement. Do vegan children need to eat larger quantities of food to get enough energy? It depends. Um, so, I think that sometimes when parents really focus on using only whole grains and absolutely no processed foods, um, what ends up happening is that the diet can become really high in fiber. And especially for younger children, when they looked at, um, when you look at the studies on growth of vegan children, the, the critical window where some children can sort of fall short in growth is during the time of weaning. So between the ages of one and three. Um, so they're coming off of breast milk. They're starting to eat more, you know, regular foods and table foods. And if the diet is incredibly high in fiber, their little bellies can fill up quite quickly. Um, so I think you do have 
have to be aware of the amount of food your toddler or young child is able to eat. And if you find that they're really struggling to eat the volume of food um, that is required for their growth, you might consider using some um, more slightly processed foods like, uh, you know, more refined grains and things like that so that they don't fill up so much on the fiber. You say in your book that navigating nutrition is no picnic and it can be daunting for the average consumer. What advice would you give to parents not to be daunted by this? And how do parents make a simple plan for healthy foods? Okay, so uh, that really gets to the crux of the whole matter. I think it sort of calls into question like the how, like how do parents actually do this? And I think the first thing is to just kind of arm yourself with enough information so that you are doing this. You're making sure to cover your nutritional bases, like many of the things we talked about with B12 and vitamin D and calcium and iron. Um, But really, it's about creating balanced meals. And the more that you sort of practice and create recipes and meals and day-to-day, you know, lunches and breakfasts and things, the more that you sort of practice it, it becomes second nature. And you're not really going to have to think um, about whether you're meeting your child's nutritional needs because it's just become a regular part of your diet. And including foods from all those groups that we talked about, like the fruits and the vegetables and the legumes and the whole grains, um, the nuts and the seeds. One area where I think um, sometimes plant-based and vegan families can fall into trouble is um, with fats, healthy fats. I think that sometimes these ultra low fat diets um, that many people may use in order to reverse or prevent many of the chronic conditions that we see would not be safe and appropriate for growing children. So um, we really encourage parents to not be afraid of healthy fats in the diet for children. My last question is, in your opinion, What kind of conversation should a parent have with their child about food without putting too much emphasis on food and creating food anxiety in a child? Because I've seen that. Yes, and I'm so glad you asked that question. Food issues in general. Yeah, there is a wonderful book um, written. It's not a plant-based book, but it's a book um, about extreme picky eating. And the authors of that book say that children or parents teach nutrition to children by serving and enjoying the foods we want them to eat. And I think while we want our children to have some health literacy and to understand nutrition, uh, bombarding them with nutrition facts is definitely not the way to go. I think when they're really young, it's just about serving delicious food, offering them a variety of foods. And the conversations, I think, really should be based on your child's questions. So if your child is really curious about nutrients and things like that, I think you can definitely research and explore together. But I would steer parents away from definitely categorizing foods as good foods and bad foods because it exactly like what what you said, it can create a lot of stress and anxiety around food. And I think at the end of the day as parents, of course, we want to nourish our children with healthy foods. We want them to be healthy but we also want them to be competent, independent eaters so that they can feed themselves in a way that's going to nourish themselves and take care of their bodies. And the way that we do that is to create a sense of joy and pleasure and enjoyment around food um, without adding to the stress by creating anxiety and worry around food. So I think parents can absolutely talk to children, talk to them about where food comes from, um, and let your children's questions guide your conversations. If they seem curious and they want to know more, you can research it together. Um, But if you find that introducing these topics and talking about protein and talking about calcium really makes your child anxious, um, then I would sort of take a step back and reevaluate. 
Thank you, Dr. Shah, for sharing all this great information. We really appreciate you being here today. And where can the Ordinary Vegan community find you? So the best place, uh, Brenda and I have a website. It's called uh, nourishthebook.com. So you can definitely um, connect with us there. Uh, and the place that I'm most active these days is Instagram. And it's just my name, at Reshma Shah. Uh, Brenda's also on there. She's um, also on Facebook. So you can connect with Brenda in either of those places. But really, Instagram is the best way to connect with me. I will put links to in the show notes to all your social media. Thank you again, and uh, take care, and happy holidays. Thank you so much, and happy holidays to you too. Thanks so much to Dr. Shah for joining the Ordinary Vegan community today. I will put links to her book and all her social media in this week's show notes. That is it for today's podcast, the last podcast of 2020. You can find me, my recipes, my cookbook, the Easy 5 Ingredient Vegan Cookbook, and all my CBD products made from organic hemp at OrdinaryVegan.net. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to me at questions at OrdinaryVegan.net. Happy holidays, everyone. Till next time. Thanks for joining our plant-based community today. Together, we can accomplish great things. Please subscribe so you don't miss any of Ordinary Vegan's recipes and plant-based tips. If you have any questions or feedback, email us at questions at ordinaryvegan.net. Until next time.